0: Thank you for joining us once again as we continue our study on the book of Romans. And as uh, we are continuing on this study on the book of Romans, we are in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. And so as we look at this, what we have found already is the Apostle Paul has introduced himself. And as the Apostle Paul has introduced himself, he has given to us his credentials. After he gave to us his credentials, he went right into letting us know what the book of Romans was all about. That was all about the gospel of God. It was all about the gospel of of Jesus Christ and so immediately after that uh, the Apostle Paul then addressed those who are in Rome and so he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 he says to all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints grace to you and peace from our God our Father the Lord Jesus Christ and so as he talks about this he talks about the uh, the, the those who are in Rome Uh, he gives to them a very common greeting. And as the Apostle Paul gives to them this very uh, common greeting, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very common greeting, or peace to you, rather, is a very common greeting within Jewish culture. It's uh, common amongst Orthodox Jews still to this day. Peace or or shalom as they will... uh, give that greeting to one another and greet you uh, with that greeting of peace. But here what we find uh, is a pretty common greeting for the Apostle Paul. And as this is a common greeting for the Apostle Paul, uh, we recognize here that it is kind of a Christianized form or a Christianized formal greeting, uh, which was common. In Paul's writings, and so when we find this, when we look at this, it was probably not only common in Paul's writings; it was probably also common within uh, that first-century church. Grace to you, and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, where it was common for the Jewish person to say "shalom" or peace, uh, here it is this Christianized version of this, with the addition of grace. Now, what we understand what we recognize is that we can only have peace with God uh, because of the grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, we can't have peace with God. When we begin to understand that and look at that, I've already talked about grace, and I've, I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to get into all of that once again. But when we begin to talk about the peace of God that only comes through the grace of God, we have to look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, being justified by faith. Now, the fact is we're condemned as sinners and those who are lost and dying and going to hell, those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ are condemned. They're condemned. That means they've been found guilty. But those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, therefore having been justified by faith, they are justified. And so as they're justified, that means they're found not guilty. It's not that they're not guilty. Of course, they're guilty. Everyone's guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, everyone deserves that condemnation. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're found not guilty. We're justified. And as we're justified, once again, as Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we are justified by faith and have peace, peace with God. It is because of the grace of God, the grace of God being the unmerited favor of God. Again, we've already talked about that, uh, We uh, so I'm not going to talk about that once again, but it is the formal greeting of the Apostle Paul, and as it is the formal greeting of the Apostle Paul, it is somewhat of a Christianized formal greeting, uh, again, that was common in the Apostle Paul's writings, and also probably common within that first century church. Now, as the church grew further and further away from Judaism, uh, it was probably a less... Less and less of a formal greeting than it was uh, within that first century church, but it'd still be very proper uh, to greet one another. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's because of the gospel, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have that peace, that we have that grace, uh, and we have the peace as a result of the grace of God and the justification of God. And we praise God for that. But here also we find in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, we find two verbal adjectives. And so as we find these two verbal adjectives, we find that uh, the the Apostle Paul described the church of Rome in two ways. And so as he described the church of Rome and gave them these two adjectives, we find in Romans 1-7, he says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. And so to those who are beloved of God and to those who are called as saints. Now today we're not going to look at the called as saints part. We're going to look at that next week. Uh, We're going to look at the beloved of God in Rome. But what we understand is that we understand both the beloved of God and the called as saints are to the whole church of Rome, but they're not limited to, to the church of Rome as we see in many places throughout Scripture. They are are to every church. They are to the universal church. And so as we recognize that they are to every church, they are to the universal church, we begin to recognize this fact. We begin to recognize this truth that the whole church is beloved of God. The whole church is also called as saints. And so when I say the whole church, I mean every single individual member, every single individual member that makes up the body of Christ. So as every single individual member that makes up the body of Christ, which is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are beloved by God. The whole church is beloved by God. Each individual member is beloved by God. The whole church is called as saints. Each individual member is called as saints. Of course we operate as a body. We don't operate on our own. We don't operate as individual members doing our own thing. That is totally unbiblical. We always operate as the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church is extraordinarily important and it is beloved of God. That you know think about that for just a moment. We are beloved by God, we are loved by God, we are deeply loved by God. Now, when we look at that, we begin to understand that the Bible says that God is love, and so when we begin to understand that God is love, we recognize that uh, love is not just a characteristic of God, it's not just one of the many attributes of God, it is who He is. God is. Love And so as God is love and we recognize that God is love, we recognize the importance of the fact that God is love. We recognize that we are loved by God. So when we understand the love of God, we understand first of all that God loves the world. Everybody knows John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so when we recognize the love of God that God so loved the world. Who did he love? He loved the world. Who is the world? The world is everyone. The world is everyone. And so in including in that everyone, it is lost people. It is those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when we understand that, we recognize that, yes, God even loves lost people. He hates their ways. Many of their ways are an abomination unto him, the Bible tells us that there are certain things that God hates, but he loves them. And so when we understand that he loves them, we understand how much he loves them. Romans chapter five and verse eight tells us, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so how much does God love us? He loves us enough to die for us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For what purpose? To die for us. And so that is the greatest demonstration of love. That is the greatest display of love. That is the greatest act, the greatest showing of love that the world has ever seen or the world ever will see. That God gave us his one and only son that he would come for the Sole purpose of dying for us. But who did he die for? He died for the sinners. Who did he demonstrate his love towards? He demonstrated his love towards the sinners. And so the Bible is clear about that. God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet still sinners, the Bible says. Now, that's important for us to understand and know because he died for us while we were yet still sinners. He loved us while we were yet still sinners. The reason is because there's nothing that we could do about our sinful state. There's absolutely nothing whatsoever we could do about our sinful state. If we could do anything about our sinful state, if we could make our sins go away, if we could make ourselves righteous people, then there would have been absolutely no need for Jesus Christ to go to the cross to die for us. There would have been no need for that whatsoever. We could have done it on our own. But since we can't do it on our own, it was absolutely necessary for God to send his own son to go into this world and to die for us. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. And this is the demonstration of his love. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while yet still we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he loves the sinners. He obviously loves the sinners because he died for the sinners. Now, that doesn't mean that he loves the ways of the sinner, but he loves the sinner. Who else does God love? God loves his own children. God loves those who are his. We see that very clearly in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says this, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He says that hope does not disappoint. And so, as hope does not disappoint, he says the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Whose hearts has the love of God been poured out into those who are believers? How do we know it's those who are believers? Because it is through the Holy Spirit. Now, only those who are believers have the Holy Spirit. If you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're going to look at it deeper when we get into Romans chapter 8, but when we do, what we're going to see is in Romans chapter 8, the Bible very clearly says, if you have the son, you have the spirit. If you don't have the son, you don't have the spirit. So only those who are saved have the Holy Spirit. So it's only those that are saved that God has poured out his love into our hearts. He has poured out his love into our hearts. He loves everybody, but it is only those who are his children that God has poured out his love to those who are uh, have the Holy Spirit. He poured out his love into our hearts. He made himself known to us. He revealed himself to us. He revealed his character to us. And so as God has revealed his love to us, the fact that He is love. He poured it out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so that is uniquely towards those who are his children. All of the world is created by God, uh, but only those who uh, have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ are the children of God. And so when we look at that, we recognize that, we begin to understand very, very clearly that it it is those who are his children that God has a special love towards that he poured out his love within our hearts. Now, I love children I love all children. You know, I, I love good children, love bad children. You know, when it, even when I look at a child that is being bad, you know, my heart goes out towards them. Maybe you see a child, uh, maybe you see a young child or even a teenager or whatever doing bad things. And, and you know, they don't have any morals. They don't have any respect. They don't have any values. My heart goes out to them because they haven't been taught any different. They, they haven't been taught. They haven't been trained how to act. They haven't been trained how to, uh, to to walk in this world. And certainly, they absolutely don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ because if they did, then God would be teaching him, them through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the testimony of his word how to act and how to live in that saving relationship with him. So my heart goes out to them, and I love them. But I love my own children in a special way. I have a special love towards my own children and my own grandchildren that I don't have towards other people's children. It doesn't mean that I don't love them. doesn't mean that I wish ill upon them in any way, shape, or form. But I have a special love towards my own children. And God has a special love towards his own children. In fact, it's an incomprehensible love. We can't even understand. We can't even comprehend the love that God has towards us. In fact, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and so when you have faith in Jesus Christ from him dwelling within your heart he pours out his love towards us richly through the holy spirit then paul goes on to say in romans chapter i mean ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 he says, "In that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be, may, may be able to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his love he's talking about here, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all of the fullness of God. He said that you might know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. Who's that love towards? It's towards those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, he has an incomprehensible love towards the lost and the sinners, but he has an incomprehensible love, a special kind of love towards those who are his, towards those who are his own children, those who are beloved of God. And so when we look at that and we understand those who are beloved of God. The Bible also tells us in 1 John chapter uh, 3 and verse 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. And so this is the special type of love, that special type of love that God has towards who? That God has towards his children, that God has towards his own children. And so when we recognize that special kind of love that God has towards his own children. Again, the rest of the world, they're not his children. Bible tells us in John chapter one and verse 12, it says, but as many as has received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So, who are the children of God? Those who have received him, those who have believed on his name. To them, and to them alone, has he given the right to be children of children of God. And so, it is to those children. It is to those children. See how great a love. The Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called the children of God. How special is that? And John says there in John chapter 3 and verse 1, and such we are. And so as we look at that, God has that special love, that unique love, that very special bond that he has with his children. And so when we recognize that very special love, that very special bond that God has towards his children, we also recognize that very special love, that very special bond that Jesus has with his church. Now understand, it is his children as individual members, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his children as individual members who make up the church, that make up the body of Christ. And Jesus has a very special love toward THE CHURCH. JESUS HAS AN EXTREMELY SPECIAL LOVE TOWARDS THE CHURCH. IN FACT, THE BIBLE TELLS US IN EPHESIANS CHAPTER 5 AND VERSE 25, He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and giving himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she would be holy and blameless. So, husbands ought to also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own body loves himself. And so when we look at this and we begin to understand this, the husbands are called to love their wives. We, we get so caught up in wives submitting to their husbands. But listen, if the husband is loving his wife like Christ loved the church, she wouldn't have a problem. In fact, it would be extraordinarily natural for the wife to submit herself to the husband. She wouldn't even think about it. It would be a no-thought process if she knew her husband loved her that much. Well, that's how much Jesus loves his church. The church is the bride of Christ. And as the church is the bride of Christ, he gave himself to her uh, all the way to the point of giving himself up for her. Again, Jesus died for the church. Jesus is there not only as dying for the church, but he is cleansing her by the washing of the water of the word, making her pure so that he might present himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He only wants what is good for the church, what is pure, what is holy, that she would be holy and blameless. So he he wants absolute perfection. He wants only the best of the best for the church because he loves the church. And so when we look at the great love that Jesus Christ has for the church, it is a very unique love. It is a very special love. And so when we look at that, that is a very unique love. It is a very special love that Jesus has towards his church. We see how special that is. When the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. Oh, we're truly beloved. We can't even comprehend how beloved we truly are. Now, when we look at that, and we begin to recognize how beloved we are in Christ, how beloved we are by God, the great love that God has towards his church. The Bible also tells us that we're to love the church. If God loves the church, we too should love the church every single individual ought to have a special kind of love towards the church 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17 tells us this honor all people love the brotherhood fear God honor the king now love the brotherhood who's the brotherhood the brotherhood is the church. And when we recognize that the brotherhood is the church, friends, we're called to love the brotherhood. We call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are. We 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 are brothers and sisters in Christ joined together through Jesus Christ. And so as we recognize that there ought to be a great love towards the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, a great love towards the local church, but a great love towards the universal church, a great love towards our brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, the brotherhood that we have in Jesus Christ, a great love that we have towards one another. In fact, when we begin to look at the love of God, we begin to recognize the love of God. That's one of the ways we know that whether or not we're truly saved. If we have a love. You know, people who, who could care less about the church, people who could care less about the things of God, people who care less about other believers, yeah, you, know, you have to ask yourself, is the love of God really within them? Because if the love of God was genuinely within them, then they would have a special kind of love towards other believers. In fact, uh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of God. Verse 2, By this we know that the love of the children of God, when we love God and observe His commandments. So, If we love God, we're going to love the children of God. When we love God, we're going to love the child born of him, which is the child of God, which is the one who has received Christ, the one who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, he says by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So what are the commandments of God? What 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 was asked of Jesus? Jesus was the greatest of all the commandments. Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might." And so that is the first and the foremost. The second, Jesus said, is likened to it: to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, technically speaking, everyone is our neighbor. Jesus used the great Samaritan, the good Samaritan, uh, as an example of that. But when we look at the great commandment the great commandment to love God with everything that you have and everything that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love ought to be a demonstration of who we are. He said all of the law and all the prophets rest upon those two. And so if all the law and all the prophets rest upon those two, he's saying the whole, the whole Bible, all of it, rest upon those two, loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, it's not the way in which we're saved because we can't we, we, we love God because he first loved us. And apart from us knowing him, we can't love him. Apart from us knowing his love that's poured out in our hearts through those who have already placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we're not going to have a love of God. Apart from the love of God and knowing God and having a love from God, we're not going to love God the child that is born of him. We're not going to have that within us. That's a supernatural act. So it's not what we do to get saved. No, we're saved by faith. It's who we are once we are saved because God has done a work within our life and God is doing a work within our life. And that work draws us into a deep love with, of God, and the love of God causes a deep love of the child that is born of God. Friends, Scripture is extraordinarily clear about that. So when you see folks bad-mouthing the church, you see people putting down on the church, you see people insulting the church, you see people shunning the church, all oh, friends, that's not of God. That's not even remotely close To being of God. In fact, that's of the spirit of the Antichrist. And we need to get as far away from junk like that as we possibly can because the true child of God is going to love God. He's going to love the child born of God, and he's going to love the church, which is the bride of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this. Well, let me just state this. You could talk about me. You can insult me. You, you could bad mouth me all you want to. You know, I'm pretty thick skinned. I don't care. It, it's just, it just, I just brush it off. Dust the dirt off my feet. It doesn't bother me. Man, you start coming after my wife. I'm going to get upset. What about when we come after the bride of Christ doesn't mean we always have to like everything that the church does. Now, it needs to be a biblical church. It needs to be a biblical bride of Christ. Not not apostate, not heretical, not not wolves in sheep's clothing. True biblical church. We need to love it. And as we love it, we're going to be in it, of it, absorbed in it. A part of it. So again Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome. What is that? It's the church. Who is that? That's the children of God. They don't always act lovable. Oh thank God for the grace of God. We, I should say, don't always act lovable. But because of God, we ought to have that deep love of the church. Because he has that deep love of the church. The beloved of God.